Hi, this is uh, Christian O'Connell. This is kind of strange for me to say this. Uh, bear with me then. So Sean Hughes was a, was a friend of mine. He's a very important friend of mine, actually. He was uh, just about the most important friend you could have in that he was open, big-hearted, and for me personally, and a lot of other people, comedians and even just musicians as well, he was, he was a mentor as well. He was also brutally honest to the point of almost having Tourette's at times, uh, but then we need friends like that in our, in our lives. And I was, uh, like many people, shocked and uh, stunned and heartbroken by his uh, sudden passing. And then I remembered something that uh, I did with Sean about five years ago. So I've known Sean about 17 years. We sort of drifted apart, as you do. And then about five years ago, I had an idea for a podcast. The rough idea was that I would interview people that I found interesting. And they would try and tell me their life story in five objects. Because... It's not about how expensive an object is. Sometimes it may be quite of low value, but it means something to us, and it also starts a story. And so one of the first people I kind of did a little uh, pilot was with Sean. And uh, I hadn't spoken to him or seen him in a couple of years, and I thought this would really test the feature out because Sean loves to talk. And uh, we recorded this before going out to lunch. I'm so glad I did do this chat with Sean. Even though I haven't played it for five years, I kind of forgot it was there. It's been sat on my hard drive. But it, it brought him back into my life. And during the last five years, he's been a, uh, a really big part of my life. I spoke to Sean more than any other friend. It's really hard when I found this on the day I found out that he passed away and listened to it. It made me sad, but also uh, made me grateful for how lucky I was to have had Sean in my life. And uh, even if you didn't know Sean, hopefully enjoy listening to this. I didn't want it to stay hidden away. It, uh, it, should be, it should be shared. It should be enjoyed. So enjoy Sean Hughes, unheard, as he tries to tell us the story of his life in five objects. We've just been um, talking about stand-up. Yeah. What made you get back into doing it? Um, I got to an age where I thought um, I knew things to say, really. And also, like, everything else I've done, I've really enjoyed, but I am a stand-up. And yeah. uh, I used to be slightly embarrassed because, you know, back when I started off, you'd, go, you'd say to someone, I'm a stand-up comic, go, oh, what impressions do you do? <laughs> and you just go, no, no. Like, and, you know, and still, even now, people go, do you write at all? And you go, who do you think writes that stuff that I'm saying on stage? And so now people are a bit more savvy. So, you know, I'm proud to say I'm a stand-up. So everything else is just a bonus, like the acting. And, like, I don't want to do any more panel shows or anything like that. But they're all just but byproducts. Comedy now is just like this huge mega industry, isn't it? It's almost seen... I get the feeling now, kids, if they say to their careers teacher, if they're 50 or 16, I'd like to be a stand-up comedian, they could say, oh, yeah, that's a great thing to go into now. Which years ago, well, 20 years ago, oh, what? I know, but it's, it's that odd thing. Of, and I don't blame people for thinking that because... Basically, you go to a club and you see a guy on stage <laughs> with a microphone. And you're yeah. going, well, so I think I'd be a stand-up. I'll go to the shop. It doesn't appear to be a lot of barrier between yeah. you and the audience and getting up there <laughs> exactly. and doing there has to be no <laughs> apprenticeship. Buy a microphone and you're a stand-up guy. <laughs> that's, all you, that's your apprenticeship. Going into a shop. Dixon's or yeah, Dixon's and go, microphone, please. The uh, stand-up special. <laughs> um, I'm about to do my DVD. But, and I don't blame them because yeah. like, all the good comics make it look so simple. Yeah. And it's... Uh, yeah, but, but it's on TV all the time now. Stand-up used to be... Jim and they would film it in fake comedy clubs, whereas yeah. now... You know, they're, 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 it's filmed in massive theatres and stuff like that. It's, there's a lot of stand-up on TV. Yeah, but and it's still, it's not really, like... Basically, the best comics are the ones who go out and over an hour will bring you through various kind yeah. of degrees. Like, unfortunately, the way stand-up is on telly, it's, everyone has five minutes, so they talk rubbish, basically. They don't yeah. get... To, they're it's, not rubbish, but they don't talk... It's compressed and it's, yeah. you know, yeah, it's diluted. And that's a certain skill, which some of them are brilliant at, but yeah. that's just a tiny little bit of stand-up comedy, yeah. just being able to put really good bits into a five-minute section. You know, and I think it, then when people go to see live comedy, they're going, well, why aren't they as uh, quick and fast as they are on telly? 
Because <laughs> you can't. Like if someone, those five minute sets that people do, if you saw someone do that for an hour, you would be bored. Off it's too relentless. Mind. There's nothing worse than that person you know who's constantly trying to make you laugh. It's exhausting to be around that. I think it's really hard as well to go and see one stand up for 45 yeah. minutes or an hour. Because a lot of people... But see, this is the weird thing as well, that, uh, which hopefully you get to do, is when you do a tour, like you do Edinburgh, they want the show to be an hour, no more, because people have seen various shows. Two weeks later, you start your tour, you start an hour, they want two hours. What? Yeah, because like they're, they're, the show starts at 8 o'clock, they're dressed up, they want an interval. I guess you're right. Now people legitimately will come up for a night of comedy, yeah. and they've got the babysitter, and they think, yeah. well, what are you going to do for a couple of hours? I could have gone to a movie, that's about two hours. Yeah, no, if you, what, where is your equivalent? If you go out... On like and say for instance you want to play Lincoln, you can't just go and do forty minutes go goodnight. You just have to you have to give them two halves. Yeah, but they have half an hour Q and A. Well, that's called heckling. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So you're now going to try and take me through the story of your life. Yeah. In five objects. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in chronological order. It's entirely up to you. Oh, we might as well. Cause okay. What are we starting with? What's what's number? Let's one? start with. Uh, well, it, I see it as an object, but it's a Cockney accent. Yeah. Is that an object? Yeah, of course it is. It yeah. can be. Yeah. yeah, so cutting action is very important in my life. Why? Well, because it's the reason I do comedy, is because I was born in London. Very much, I'm very Irish, but I was born in London. I didn't know that. Yeah. Don't ever hide it. And we were, uh, we went to live in Dublin when I was age five. Right. In the height of the Republican troubles. Yeah. And my dad thought it'd be a really funny joke. So I'd start school in a Republican area with a Cockney accent. Oh my gosh! And so from no wonder you end up going into stand-up. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly why I do stand-up because I like had he to entered you into some sort of stand-up finishing school. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I don't think they call it. I think it was the IRA Youth Academy. <laughs> oh, okay. But um, and that was so uh, that that was vital for my my psyche. Basically. So were you bullied? Um, I was felt I was made to feel very unwanted. <laughs> If that's bullying. <laughs> yes, it is, really. The, the bullying, they kind of include you, but then they pick on the weakest. Yes. Now, this is, like, excluded from... Yeah. Even the bully were going, not touching that Brit. Really? Yeah, yeah. That must have been frightening. Yeah, but also then, like, to make matters even worse, then we lived there with my granny for two years, and we yeah. moved to another place. So that was three schools by the time I was uh, seven. And, you know, new schools... Because at that age, um, you know, you really need to connect... Yeah, there was no. So moving, so you would have felt what like quite a sort of a, a loner, I'm guessing. Oh, extremely so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Were you any good at sport? Because that's the other way that I guess young guys. Uh, sorry, have we never met? <laughs> <laughs> Is um, there any guys a stand-up comedian who was really good at school well, football? Weirdly, I was very good at cross-country running. So long-distance running, I was very good at. And uh, but again, that's a very lonely. I was about to say it's a very lonely yeah. pursuit. You're by yourself. Yeah, I think I think they just let me win because they didn't want to hang out with me. <laughs> yeah, that's all makes sense. Sean is cross country running again. What an idiot! He falls like every time. He's, He's so good. He's so far ahead. There was no one now. else behind no. you. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's all making sense now. Yeah, you see, if I was bullied, I could have been running away from them, but there was nobody running after me. <laughs> I just thought I was so much better than all that. So the Cockney accent for you is that sense of being an outsider. Yeah, which is essential Yeah, for to be in the arts in general. Do you think so? Yeah, to peek in, open that box and go, that's all rubbish in there. Let me mix that about, make life a little bit better. What age were you then doing stand-up? I'm jumping ahead of yeah, you. Yeah, no, I, but I started when I was 17. I, I kind of knew that. It was always what I wanted to do. I didn't, did you? I never had a job. So when was the first moment? Who did you see on TV? Or well, what see, was this, that? Is, this would be the second object. All right, let's be, go on to the second uh, one. It's Richard Pryor's soul. Because I remember oh, wow. um, sitting in Fur House, where I was brought up, in a tiny little place in uh, in Ireland. And um, 
this yeah no they'll go into something else i'm talking out loud now zip edit hello um right i'm actually having a breakdown so <laughs> i was about to say um, zip edit <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? Oh, Are we in an 80s movie? You promised me lunch. <laughs> um, Zip edit. But, um, yeah. yeah. See, that's that's the thing. I can never take that moment back. <laughs> not even if it's in, not even in oh, the end. I, just, no. I can never take that out of my yeah. life. But, no, I remember sitting there, and it was late at night. They showed Richard Pryor live at the sunset. Wow. And uh, I could totally relate to this man. Yeah, and even though like, you're not black and no. you're not a crack addict, but <laughs> you think... God, this guy's really speaking to me. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't yeah. believe it. He was speaking my yes. mind. Because you set yourself on fire. Yeah. And I lived with uh, me, me granny in a yeah. brothel. Yeah. But no, it was. I just couldn't believe. This is the whole point. I was just going, why am I feeling such a kinship with this man? Yeah. And he was the first comic. He'd still be my favorite comic because he was able to speak to me. when he, Actually, we'd never have anything in common. And, uh, and, and when you say speak to you, what is it connect to you on a very, at a deeper level than I guess any other performer? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. at the time as well, your similar age is uh, Bob Munkers used to have a program. We used to have American comics on all the time, yep. and that was a real eye opener for me. Yeah, I was I like, bet. this is amazing. Yeah, because like being Irish, I was never the whole music hall thing does nothing for me. Yeah, and there was still a lot of that on telly at the time. And uh, so I used to look to America for all the stuff and uh, like Steve Martin's early stuff and all that, mm. and the clownishness of that. They were all my influences there, but like Richard Pryor was just going, oh my God, this guy speaks. And like, you, like he makes it again, he made it look so simple because he'd talk about something. But there when you start off. to him and having yeah. the courage to get up there and there's no punchline every 30 seconds. I know, but I, I tried to, like I thought it was like, good I'd, I'd do that when i started off and i was absolutely pants yeah essentially while you're gathering that skill you do have to tell gags yes i know until you get to the point where you don't need to really when you're doing stand-up now do you write from the stage or you'll go up and try and work it out and yeah. talk it out there and then come back and sort of go right okay that bit was kind of it rather than sitting down in front of a if i say word processor no, I does anyone have a word no, processor I anymore <laughs> I, I don't. I, I tend to come up with ideas, and I do try and write them on stage. Yeah. But not in a twenty-minute set, obviously. But I still, I will try out some stuff, and then. But yeah, a lot of the, like it was weird actually. There's three or four really new bits that I really like, but yeah. if I'm not informed, none of them are going to work because a lot of them are facial expressions to describe stuff. And I, I'm doing like, and I'm sure you know what it's like, but it's um, I'm doing one bit which I know because I, I find so little funny. So when I write a bit, I go, well, that I really, really made me laugh. How do you mean you find so little funny? What, in your own material? or? Um well, yeah, but after a while, you don't find that funny either. But no, just in general. So when I come up with an idea, I think, oh, yeah, I really like that idea. Yeah. That's funny. And there's one that I'm doing about, um, and it's a very simple thing about how, you know, kids are so lucky these days because they've got the internet. But we didn't have the internet. We had Mr. Power, our history teacher, and he wasn't necessarily right a lot of the time. And it's a lovely idea. And I, yeah. But I haven't quite got it to work yet. And I... And I like I did this l bit where I just say, and the internet went down recently, and I really needed to find out something. So I rang up Mr. Power, and I said, you know, he was in his home, and you know, he's eighty odd. And I said, do you remember me, nineteen seventy-two? I was in your history class. Quick question, um, and I just went, what was Boston's biggest hit? <laughs> <laughs> and he went, you got it then. It's yeah. clicked, doesn't it? it yeah. Works. And then I just went, more than a feeling, thanks. <laughs> And, uh, and <laughs> but it doesn't—it it doesn't quite work. Yet. Why? I don't know. Because that's what I mean. I find it funny, and I know it's funny, but I haven't quite got it ready on stage. Where's the point where you either dump it or you just carry on regardless and go? Well, I'm enjoying it. So do you. Well, usually, I'd certainly rest it if I try it three times and it doesn't work. Do so you have a rule of three? Yeah. Yeah. And then, 
But, but then, then I bet if you say midway doing your Edinburgh show and it's a, the run's going really well, you're going to bring out the Mr. Power bit. Oh, you? absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You're going to go shit or bust. Well, no, because I do like it, but but sometimes you can rest and then come back to it another time. Yeah. But yeah, I, as I say, usually I kind of know when it's going to work. And then you just add to it, really, as it goes on. So Richard Pryor is sort of really the, the big sort of daddy of the influences for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, I think uh, then after that, I think it was uh, Bill Hicks made me think about material a lot more because I, I ended up uh, doing gigs going in Australia just when Did he you? found out he was dying actually, and so we kind of became close there. Yeah. Then and it was, uh, it was actually it was amazing. Like and it's it's a kind of uh, what was he like? Sure, because I was lucky enough to see him. He came to my university, and um, I'm so lucky to have seen him. He was incredible. He spent the first half hour of the gig um, annihilating the audience, right? Uh, because he, th- uh, just for being, um, too easy to make laugh. And it was like, it was one of the most exciting and dangerous things sure, to stand up yeah. do to literally, he literally alienated a student, you know, uh, 1200 people. Um, because I didn't like the support act. It was like a musical band. He goes, you just want dick jokes. I'm not British comedians. Like it's like slagging off Ben Allen. Yeah. And he made the room feel really small and thick and stupid. And but then, you all loved him though. Yeah. And then he did like an hour and a half and he, it, it was incredible. Well, yeah, like uh, he was brilliant. He really mm. was. And it was, um, when I saw him, it was really odd that, um, we were playing right next door to each other in a, you know, where there's a few venues and he was playing this tiny room and I was really big in Australia at the time. So I was doing this lovely big room and, and they'd say to me, the promoters were the same promoters, and they'd say, we've got this American guy in, uh, we're having to pay for the room. And for anyone who doesn't know, that means just give out free tickets because nobody's come to see him. And I said, would you just pop along the first night? And I went, oh, because like, at the time, there was a, a, a lot of Americans were, hey, where are you from? My yeah. hometown. I was going, I don't really want to hear that. And Bill Hicks, bearing in mind, he went out to a papered audience, so they weren't his crowd. They weren't yeah. there to see him. They were just here. And he went out and his opening line was, uh, you know, to go out with a comedian takes a very special lady or a bunch of average ones. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my, I just went, oh, my God, he's got me hooked. Because I'm thinking, who goes out to alienate half their audience with the first line? Yeah. And it, I just, it, people walked out straight away. Yeah. And I just thought, he's so brave. And I just thought he was brilliant. When I saw Bill Hooks, though, there were big chunks of it which weren't very funny or made right. me feel quite awkward, and some bits which were quite sort of misogynistic and stuff I like know, that. I know, yeah. He wasn't the porn mad stuff. About women. I think this guy who's so human up there, and and um, uh, and then he'd suddenly go into porn and celebrating it and stuff like that. And I would feel, I don't understand how it's the same guy that has a really intelligent approach to something else, generally thinks that's something well, yeah, celebrated. But, and no, but that's fair enough, like, and you're right, because. Um, I remember a routine that I don't think he did on recording about how, you know, the women who write to people on death row and, you know, will you please fuck me? And he's going, I yeah. can't get laid. You know, what do I have to do to get laid? So I, I do think there was a slight resentment. And he was a bit of a loner. Like, hence, he's probably uh, had a cockney accent when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. But it's, um, nobody, a lot of people don't know that about him. He was the only guy in Texas going around, going, cool, blimey, governor. They go, who's this Bill Hicks yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I think we've sussed that out. I'd love to see that if there was Bill Hicks, the movie, that the first 10 years of him <laughs> was some sort of cockney playing the spoons <laughs> in a pearly suit going, and people watching going, I never knew. That explains everything. It does, absolutely. Yes, he's from Bermondsey. <laughs> he's, one minute he's a cockney, the next minute he hates women. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it is like, yeah, he wasn't perfect. And I, but I think as a, like... I think like life should be a document in that sense, and like as you said, when you got to see him, I bet you had the room every minute. Even though I think it's fine mesmerizing, to have, yeah, honestly, it's fine to have thoughts. So like like commanding I don't like an audience, he was had so much authority and and was quite happy to lose the whole room yeah. and then 
you didn't get the feeling that he was then desperate to, to get you back. No. He was just putting the stuff out there. Well, I've seen him as well where, like, when you do those five-minute sets on TV, and I saw him do one where his uncle and I was let me uh, put on that fake smile with a pedal at the same old shit. Yeah. And like, just, that's absolute bravery. Oh, Cause as amazing. you said, comics want people to love them, and he just went, no, take me from what I say. Yeah. And he was brilliant like that. And it's, um, But I, I think you should be in an hour show. You should be going... I don't like what he said there. It shouldn't be all plain sailing all the way. All right, so you got you got uh, Richard Price soul. Yeah. Okay. So what's next? Well, it's uh, this little like I know you love your music. Who do you like at the moment, by the way? I always vowed I would never get that one. These people that just moans about how great the old stuff is, and I'm starting to get into about that. And I went through a phase a couple of years ago of getting into Bob Dylan, who I always hated. Yeah. Just thought it was indecipherable guy mumbling, which he is. Yeah. But I kind of like that. So I'm, I listen to a lot of Bob Dylan. At well, the was that after the uh, No Going Home or No Direction Home? Yeah, that was an amazing documentary. Yeah, put me in. I thought it's yeah. this guy's brilliant. Right, I get it now. And then yeah. I went back and listened to loads of his old albums, and there's, and there's some amazing stuff. No, but the reason I bring up music is because I think uh, one of the objects I would put in are the basic rollers. Because as a 10-year-old, yeah. you know, coming home black and blue from the... Uh, from school. Yeah, from yeah. being... Cross-country running. Yeah. <laughs> Three days solid. <laughs> Huge breasts. <laughs> um, I, was, uh, I saw, uh, when I was 10, the basic rollers sang Bye Bye Baby on top yeah. of the pops. And I just went, that's my way out. You know, and not of like I wasn't going to join the basic rollers, but I just went because all all I like I don't want to be depressing, but it's like I lived in a colour sack, and that was as far as our ambition for the whole colour sack went. Really, people, jumping over that colour sack, people just went, "Wow, he's brave." But I saw the basic rollers, and I saw a completely different world. It's what you saw, possibility. Absolutely, I saw. It's incredible. But this is why, like I was saying to you, I don't know if we were talking. I never thought you would have said that. I thought you were joking about the basic no, rollers. No, no, they were so important to me. And it was really weird because, again, it's a bit of material that I haven't quite got to work yet. Yeah. I, it's not surprising because it's about the basic rollers. But it's about people complaining about, uh, you know, the tax bracket going from 50 to 45. Yeah. And Adele saying she's going to leave the country if they didn't do that. And I'm, I didn't realise our economy relied on the sales of 21 for a start, but apparently we do. And um, But I remember I know a lot about the tax system and it's because of the basic rollers. Because when I was 10 in 1975... Uh, the tax rate under the Labour government was 80%, the highest rate. Yeah. And the basic rollers, two things they said was, we're leaving the country going to America because we're not paying this 80%. Yeah. And that's when I started canvassing heavily for changes in the law on taxation. At the age of 10. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going, well, come on, Labour, I'm never going to vote for you. You've lost me. If you don't put down this, because you're, you're, you're making the basic yeah. rollers. They're hurting. And possibly mod having to go over and live in the States because <laughs> of you. And if you're going to... Because, like, I used to write to the basic rollers, Les McCune in particular, the singer. And weirdly, because I met him because I had him on Sean's show. And yeah. what an ass. But anyway, <laughs> that's another There's thing. nothing worse yeah. than that. But when, like, I used to write to him when I was what 10. You, when you were saying, what were you writing to him about? Like, hello, were you never 10? Well, yeah. I wrote to him like every other 10-year-old and went, well, me and every other girl. This is a, <laughs> the other thing is the basic rollers at 10 made me question my sexuality. So yeah. I actually had the tartan trousers and everything. I was the yeah. only boy. Like, I was getting bullied and being, you know, lonely well, as well. You didn't was. buckle with the bullying. You yeah. then thought, right, I'm <laughs> going to really dig into this. <laughs> Come on. What do you think of my Les? Check yeah. out the pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, you found the inner Les. Yeah, I took the, so I'd write to him at 10 and go, if you happen to be in town, why don't you pop around for a cup of tea? Oh, Thinking he might well do that. Yeah. And, um, and see. Did and he ever reply to any of the letters? No, of course he didn't. Yeah. And I don't think my mum even posted them. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but, um, but then, 
it was that thing of uh, on other interviews they'd always go you know their favourite drink was milk and their favourite food was biscuits I don't know how the tax okay. thing I think they went off script during that interview <laughs> we're leaving unless you put it down to 74% but um, but he did say that because he used to have their own magazine Shanga Lang and the TV program I used to run home to watch that's that that's right bands used to have these like little newsletters and yeah. fanzines and yeah, stuff like because they didn't have Facebook or Twitter there's yeah. nowhere to connect to that was when it was real yeah but um, they always said that they didn't have girlfriends and like you know if you saw those documentaries they, they said we had to say that otherwise the young fans wouldn't buy records but weirdly even though I didn't want to go out with Les I was very happy he didn't have a girlfriend as well because I assumed when you were in a fight for his affections well no but it wasn't even that really it was when he came round uh, for the cup of tea you know me and Les we didn't pro- want some oh, her endorse ruining it no well that's because like <laughs> I didn't want him coming with his girlfriend because you can't really have a proper chat when he's with his girlfriend. And I figured after the cup of tea, we'd a probably... A proper chat because yeah. that's what you'd have had. A yeah. proper chat yeah. at 10. <laughs> I probably chat that 10-year-olds too. But he's a grown man. <laughs> well, he was about 19, Yeah, you're right, actually. But yeah. he was... Uh, I figured we'd have a cup of tea and then he'd probably want to do some tree climbing. <laughs> and she'd get in the way of that, wouldn't she? Yeah, of course she would. Yeah, Oh, Les, come on, I want to go shopping yeah. or... Yeah, no, me and Les are climbing this tree. Yeah, yeah, she'd ruin it. And th- see, I try- I'm trying to talk about this at stage, but I'm glad you give She'd me She'd be outlook. the Yoko in your mind of this whole situation, very splitting much. the band up of you and Les. Very much, <laughs> very much. And it's like, you know, so like the basic roles are c- crucial in my life, never mind just for loving music. It gave me my love of music. But also and TV that. as well. Well, see, this is the thing. Like Without you know, TV, I mean, you know, and seeing the basic rollers, you wouldn't have found, and for so many people, I guess they s- TV was the... Um, was that window on the world? Well, no, but I'd, I'd include them as all-encompassing for TV because yeah. we used to have a thing. In Ireland, we used to call... When, when we could get the reception for BBC and ITV yeah. and Channel 4 eventually, we used to call that the pipe television. Right. And we the pipe television was an amazing... This, this was like the internet for yeah. the next generation, the pipe TV. I think it was quite literally was a pipe that ran across the Irish Sea <laughs> where we got the signals in and we could see Terry Wogan. All, all the British people like Terry Wogan <laughs> Terry and Eamon yeah. Holmes, Dave Allen, Dave Allen, yeah. uh, Danny Larue, <laughs> uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan. We could see them in the flesh on the telly through the pipe. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what would bring the mood down in our house: people just go, "The fucking pipe has gone." Oh really? Yeah. Because then you had to flip just a normal Irish TV, yeah, which is RT One, which was you know the thing. I remember years ago coming over to Ireland to stay with a friend of mine, and uh, there was a guy named Dickie Brother that came on and started introducing um, the TV shows. Would speak for a bit and then just introduce what you're about to watch. Well, like an announcer. It was like Saturday night and it was a lower low. Yeah. And he just well, would come on and start chatting. Oh, it was really bad Irish television. And uh, But they still have this thing that at six o'clock every night, they've got this thing called the Angelas, where bells go off for a minute where people can pray. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And it used to be, well, my like my mum used to wait until it was three months worth and then send over DVDs of them for me so I wouldn't miss out on any of them. But they used to be, that was a joke. Um, but no, there used to be like a still picture of like the Virgin Mary. But when I went back recently, they've changed it where they still have the bells for a minute. But now to make it more modern, they just have a picture of a of a priest like petting a dog and stuff like that. It's really odd. It was more like you know we're not going to show you those stained pictures kind of you know icons anymore. Yeah. Here's real life. There's a you know a priest having a cup of tea, a nun playing pool. You know that kind of thing. It was amazing. <laughs> I love Ireland. <laughs> 
it's still so well wonderfully eccentric, isn't it? Parts of Irishness, not the yeah. bits of it that change, but there's still that bit there where you're like, that's brilliant. Well, again, like again, it goes into the other show which we're doing. It's about like Ireland. have got this great reputation for it. Like, go to an Irish pub. Oh man, there's so so much joy and a yeah. great great sense of humour. Again, this not. We haven't got a great sense of humour. We're, we're pissed. A lot, <laughs> of, and a lot of the time, we're not even aware you're there. You know, and that's the whole thing. People go, oh, they're so much so friendly. We don't even we didn't even see you. <laughs> You know, so that's a, that's a lot of a lot of Irish, you know, debunking to go on basically. Okay, so Bay City Rollers. W- yeah. What else? Well, then, um, so that's three. Even though, like, you could go on about television because television is vital. But let's put all that. Into so many Bay people City have Rollers. been t- talking to doing these. TV is a bit, is, su- is such a big part of oh, yeah. uh, something where they saw something and it, it just started. That was that light bulb that went off, that spark of something. Well, now. Uh, as a 46-year-old, the only thing that gets my heartbeat really going hard out of excitement is if it's coupons and um, tension is my Sky Plus uh, percentage being quite low. Yeah, I generally get quite angsty about that and just yeah. start deleting stuff. <laughs> and going, I, I don't like it beneath temp. I mean, when it gets to less than time, I just feel yeah. it's almost like I'm struggling for breath. Yeah, for breath no, of honestly, life. It's, it's, it's the beginnings of an anxiety attack. I do sometimes wonder what would happen if someone broke into my house and they stole my Skybox recorder. <laughs> I'm like, that stuff isn't backed up. Yeah. I'm meant to get hold of the good wife yeah. and all those shows on there. I know, so, no, but so I'm glad you're with me on that. It's yeah. like that's, that gets an anxiety uh, thing going. So television is all encompassing, but I think. Just for my natural growth as a person, it was because, um, like, I don't read much. I think people have the assumption that I read a lot, but mm. I don't. But um, books are very important to me. And uh, I remember when I was 18, a book that changed my life was uh, The Book of Laugh and Forgetting by Milan Kundera. Oh, yeah. People refer to him as Kundra as well, but yes. I, I'm never having that. Yeah. And I remember reading that book. As I remember distinctly reading a passage when I was 19 on a bus, and it changed my life overnight. Cause I didn't Do you remember what the passage was? No, that's what I mean. It's yeah. ridiculous. Uh, but I, I remember the what feeling. Was the essence, what was the essence that you took away from it at 19 then? Um, it's a bit like what you were saying earlier on. It's a bit like when comics uh, say things that you go, oh my God, I didn't realise people felt like that. And it, like this was coming from more of an intellectual uh, yeah. span. And I was just going, oh, he, he's speaking to me as well. So this is the weird. So, so far, I've basically said um, a kind of drunken Scottish singer, 19-year-old singer, uh, a middle-aged uh, crack addict, uh, black comic, and a Czech dissident. They're the people who've spoke to me in my life so far. Yeah, but that's how our influences are. They can be as mixed and varied well, as that. These are odd influences. Yeah, but we're all made up of different parts of ourselves. There is no one universal self. There's all these other little, sometimes conflicting parts of us. And so, zip, edit, edit. <laughs> <laughs> You should have a new thing on the on the radio show just for for live <laughs> people coming in live in the morning going. Now this is called a zip edit because you're going to say things you probably will regret. <laughs> oh, it's like a dump button. If we only had that thing, you could just del- almost like an autocorrect or something like that. If you just made a faux pas and just went zip edit and it just got deleted the last ten seconds, yeah. so people were just like, okay, I, I appreciate you just done the zip edit there. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this book, yeah. If people aren't familiar with the book, take us through it then. Um, I can't remember much about it. I should really read it again. I am going to. Yeah. But I just remember it being extremely important because, like, you know, I guess I was a bit lost. And yeah. it was because, like, when I was, I came over to London when I was 19 to do comedy, purely to do comedy. It wasn't like anything else. I was doing comedy. So if you started at 17, you've been doing it for two years in Dublin. Yeah. There wasn't a big enough scene in. To make it, you needed to be in London. Yeah, no, you came over as a double act and that didn't quite work out. So I started doing it on my own. But I, w- I was very lonely and. Um, 
so that's when you read a lot, and I was mm. reading this, and, and it, it comforted me because also, like, when I get in two person, but I, I kind of had some mental problems at that age, and I remember going to see a psychiatrist just before I emigrated, and I explained to him because I had a really bad acid trip, and it really messed me. I was going to say, was this drug in, in yeah, yeah. to do with drugs because that yeah, happens a lot to people, and uh, and they just said, no, you need psychiatric help, and I said, well, I'm going to move to. London tomorrow and says I really wouldn't do that and I thought it was a big decision and this is all to do with the book of life and forgetting as well because I just thought if I don't do this now I'm going to hide under my bed for the rest of my life you would have done as well yeah, yeah. and it was a lovely bed as well so yeah, it, wouldn't sure. been, it wouldn't have been a bad life yeah but it was um, and I think that was all part and parcel of that part and that was like an extremely growing part of my life so you know? at 19 you had all that going on yeah yeah it was when you came up. to London, did you get any psychiatric help or did it just kind of resolve itself uh, and you worked no, it out somehow? No, because it wasn't free on the NHS. I, I did inquire. I, I went on beta blockers. Yeah. Which, you know, slow the heart rate. Yeah, yeah, and sure. And so I was able to do the shows without getting panic attacks and it became quite good at snooker for some reason. Um, that is quite a sedate sport, I'd guess. If you yeah. were on beta blockers, it would kind no, of... No, it's actually a really... It's a bad reference because a lot of snooker players used to be on it. Did they? Yeah, it was, that's what it was known for. A friend of mine took too many once before a driving test. They were very, very worried, and they took like the whole packet. And I think you only meant to take one or two, and they <laughs> took too many. Well, they were just too too relaxed. Yeah. And at one point, they just got out of the car and just fucked off at the traffic <laughs> lights. The instructor was like, I'm going to have to fail you. And they just, because well, they were off the face on beta blockers, they didn't care. <laughs> How many times did you do your test? Uh, I did it twice. Yeah, I, I, I did it twice as well. And I, but I... I like anyone who's wanting to do this as well. Yeah, but did you cry at the end of it when he said you'd failed? I um, couldn't help myself. I just started crying. No, because I knew it failed. I, I knew, minutes. but then when he told me, I couldn't help but start crying. But I, I cheated as well because I did it automatic, which is, you know, monkeys can do Well, yeah, exactly. There's no art to that. I still failed. <laughs> How can you fail in an automatic? Well, I tell you why. It's a dodgem. Yeah. Pretty much he said to me, um, I'm going to uh, put my hand on the uh, thing. Oh, now. for the emergency yeah. stop. Yeah. And when I do that, I want you to stop. And I've accelerated. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would have killed loads of people, <laughs> and so and that was right at the start. And so I had to go through ten minutes of like brilliance, and uh, knowing I'd failed. And I got to the end, and went, well, "You failed." Went, yeah, I know. And could you get that dead person off the bonnet? <laughs> <laughs> like that's why it was a really brave thing to do. I was very driven. You know, I just wanted to do comedy, and I, I knew that uh, I wasn't stable mentally at the time. But um, doing stand-up, it makes you uh, confront and deal with various parts of yourself and yeah. stuff that you would not, not normally want to or you'd shy away from. Yeah. Especially your kind of stand-up and you're well, not yeah, doing one-liners. and. Yeah, that's probably why the book, again, was so important because it's a bit like, uh, I don't know how you found it on holiday uh, recently, but a lot of people who work full days and then they go on holiday, then they start thinking about stuff because they've got time to relax for the first time. There's not so much noise in your life. So yeah. Yeah. And so, basically, when you're a stand-up, especially when you're starting off, you might have an open spot one a week. And the rest of the time is pretty much You've got a lot of time your in your head. Yeah. And you learn how... That's the one thing, uh, one bad thing about doing any job like that, like an actor as well, is you have a lot of time in your head that you have yeah. to be able to deal with that. Uh, yeah, and a lot of people can't. That's why they get into substance abuse yeah, and coke yeah. and drink, because it kind of quietens that down a bit. Oh, completely, yeah. I completely understand where that comes from. And so, did you have, have panic attacks or anything like that? Yeah, I did, um, but luckily, and this is again purely for anyone who does have panic attacks. Don't worry too much about it because uh, once you understand what they are, yeah, that'll all. Because I decreasing. used to years ago have terrible panic attacks. Yeah, but you read about it and you realise it's just your body. Yeah, as a you realise what there's actually a physical sort yeah. of element to it and stuff like that, and you can. But get weirdly, a handle the on panic attack does come up in the show about my dad that I'm doing as well. Yeah, in great detail as well. 
because I, I think it's important to talk about these things as well. Do you ever still get them now? No, occasionally? no. Occasionally, um, you know, when you mind, when you, especially when you're a bit tired. Yeah, yeah. It's when you're tired. Yeah. You know, you, you start your to just run goes, away with yourself. Yeah. You go, oh crikey! You can, your oh, mind just goes. Uh, why don't you just freak out there? <laughs> this would be a really helpful thing for you to do <laughs> right now. Yeah, and, you, and you just go, no, I'm not going to. Like it's a little, slightly schizophrenic, but you, you're able to. Like that's the thing. Like people go, uh, like it's it is frightening because like. You're always going to be capable of having a panic attack, but you have to trust yes. yourself that you won't. Yeah, and like you know, it, it's that thing of your body will sometimes. Well, also you have to one. give in to them a bit. Otherwise, if you yeah. if you start to resist it too much, it gets worse. I think that's when you can almost yeah. bring them on yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it, it's it's very curable in that sense that they're always there. But you know, you can deal with it completely. Okay, so we've got the book, and then your last item. Well, weirdly, because um, I didn't want it to be all encompassing, but I think the best holiday I ever had. And uh, is I went to Rwanda to trek mountain gorillas. So I would put when a was mountain this? about five years ago. I didn't, you know, go at cameras like you know, for a jolly. It's just it was just the most remarkable thing I've ever done. Oh, I just presumed it was for a TV gig. And or that's what I mean. But yeah. I, I can actually go on holiday without cameras. Really? Unbelievable. Crikey, yeah. I thought that's what like, you, what you do. I know. So I did that, and it was um, what, by yourself. Yep. Wow. And it, uh, a weird thing was, because uh, when, you, when you go to the uh, see the mountain gorillas, you have to get a permit and stuff, and they only let you go make uh, groups of eight. And uh, and there was nine of us there. And I'd been there way before half of them. And they just went, well, you wait for the next one, because these are what all... What, to you? Yeah, because you're all... again, because you caught yeah. the accent. Yeah, I want to see the monkeys! Well, they said, all the others are in couples, so we're not going to split them up. You wait for the next one. And so we're expecting, like, five Germans along. And then no one came along. So it actually worked out a treat because I said, so then I went up on my own with two soldiers. And, uh, and I saw the monkeys or the gorillas on my own. But there, I, I would pick How a How close do you get? Uh, well, they touched me, but you're not allowed to touch them. But I, I think... Was it like a monkey lap dance? <laughs> well, it was pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but no, one of them did touch me. It was really weird. But he touched me on the back of my knee. And it wasn't like where it was, hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah. It was more like, you know, oi, oi, you're next on the pool. You know, it was that kind of touching, really? and it was, um, it it was, it was a beautiful thing of uh, I would put a mountain gorilla because it it shows you um, what how brilliant and how horrible humans can be when you see this natural beauty yeah. who just cares about eating yeah. and shitting. Yeah, they have a very pure life. Yeah, yeah. and it, you, you do get that that close to them, and it's um, it was just spellbinding. It really, and I because everyone should go there and do that. It's amazing. And how did you feel afterwards? What an amazing sense of... That was ripped off. It was about <laughs> 60 quid for the poem. Um, he'd well, actually mugged you. When he was tapping behind the knee, his mate was yeah. getting the wallet out the back. Well, see, the reason I think he touched me, and like they were really surprised that all the gorillas seemed to like me. And I've kind of... I used to get slagged off it when I was a kid, but now I've actually grown to love my monkey face. I think they thought I was one of their family. Because I do... I think my eye... It's a bit like chill, like young infants can't stop staring at me. I, I think I've got monkey eyes. Where uh, I had a monkey eye. Well, just expressionless, <laughs> dead looking. <laughs> monkey, are you right? Yeah, maybe they're based <laughs> on monkey eyes in the zoo. They do look sad, don't they? Yeah. Can you blame them? They've got the tire, and that's their day. Is the tire again, and some bananas? That sounds. Great. I wouldn't ever say that someone's got monkey eyes. <laughs> well, this is you, you know, know e-harmony on your dating profile. Monkey eyes. <laughs> yeah, monkey eyes. <laughs> but no, it's they do have like that dead kind of monkey eyes. No, I tell you what, I don't think they've got dead monkey eyes. <laughs> 
I think there's a, there's a certain deep soulness to their eyes. That's what I yeah, feel. Yeah, it's called dead monkey eyes. Have <laughs> <laughs> you not heard of this? No. Diane Potty's always talking about it. I remember being at London Zoo once, and one of them, uh, you know, behind this sort of uh, the big thick perspex glass, and he came right up to it, right, and other people, other tourists, and uh, my kids were there with my wife. They sort of showed went, "Oh my gosh!" And he looked straight at me, and uh, all, I honestly, Sean, right, it was a really unnerving experience to begin with, and I yeah. felt this deep sense of calm, like he was almost staring into the face of um, right into your soul. You know, yeah, there's yeah. this deep kind of like, yeah. but it was like a sad thing. Like, how can we do that to them? Well, no, like. It's like I obviously I don't agree with zoos and stuff, but I'm not going to you know march against it either, because like a lot of those monkeys they've got dead eyes. So what's the point? <laughs> doing that? Yeah. No, but it was really weird because I had a very similar thing, but in their in their proper habitat. So I was on this mountain, there's this ravine which uh, went down at least 200 foot, and I was on this edge. You just have to go where they go. They they travel at, uh, a kilometer a day, so the track there's no whereabouts are going to be. And, and how big are they, by the way? The things twice the size of us. No, they're not. Yeah, and also twice the size of us. Yeah. So the gorillas. Well, yeah, yeah, the gorillas, yeah. Oh right, there's like a cappuccino monkey. Or no, something no, like that. no, mountain gorillas. Were you frightened? No, because basically, they kick, just like crunch, crush you up. Well, no, because I, I do find myself. I think I'm part of their family, you know. Oh, we are to some extent. But me more so, looks wise. Yeah. And it was what they said to us. Uh, they said, "Look, what's going to happen is the infants will get very excited by you. You're not allowed to touch anything, but the infants, when they get ahead of, if you get, if you're in between them and their mother or father, they will run at you." But he says, just stand your ground. They will not harm you. And I went, that's fine. I know this because I read a lot about it. So the male will come running at you as if they're going to tear you limb to limb. And I, I was fine. And they stop, as the guy said. And uh, I said, what happens normally? He says, oh, people just throw up. Uh, people faint. People run down the mountain. We never see them again. And but there this was is this a holiday you pay for. <laughs> yeah. But it was this. And this is Rwanda, which is still a bit tricky at the time as well. Oh but it was. Um, but there was one female who really took a shine to me. Uh, I think she worked, you know, uh, one of the gorillas. And she was, um, she put her hand out to me. And I, I this is where. The tip. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you paid them. Where's our But this is where it's what I love about society is, and I love TV, back to TV again, because this is a magical moment in the wilds. Yeah. And this is my reference point, right? Because the gorilla was there. I'm on the edge of this ravine where if she touched me, I was dead. Yeah. It, you know, and I, all I could think about was Dick Henry going, oh, you are awful, but I like you. And her putting her hand out and I go down the ravine. So I'm thinking, this is how ingrained television is in my head. I'm there in the wilds of Rwanda. And I'm expecting this your female girl to go, oh, you are awful, but I like you. Because like, she, she had that look about her that she was going to do that to me. So they're either, um, they've got dead monkey eyes or they're, they're in a feet 70s comedian, <laughs> Dick Emery. Very much. So uh, it, was, it was great. Because also there's a in, in Uganda as well there's a there's a, a place called Chimp Island, and which sounds like a horror thing. But they let they've got two tents and you pay a fortune, but they let two people stay overnight. That the, doesn't uh, sound right. Come on, you pay a fortune you know, to stay in a tent. Yeah, and do what? But it's just you and the uh, the chimps on the island for the night, and there's an electric fence. And the, the, then the the keepers will take you out for dinner that night in their tent, and they they tell you loads of like. Uh, monkey stories to go, oh, of course, you know, did we tell you about the time when the electric, uh, the electric fence didn't work and they ripped people from limb to limb and all that. But they said some amazing stories because um, basically they get some of the local so islands. So did you go to Monkey Island? I went to Chimpa, Chimpa, Chimpa Island. Chimpa Island, yeah. Fantastic. It was brilliant. And what they say to you as well, they say, if all the adults come in 
we will let the infants out because they can't let the infants out with the adults because they yeah. will kill. They will yeah. kill the infants. They're vicious. Yeah. And so all the uh, all the adults came in, and then so we got into the forest, and they let um, all the little infants out who just jump on you, and like they, and they start biting you, and it's oh, amazing. Wow. It is the most amazing thing. But they were saying to us, um. um Sometimes with the beach area, they need to get rocks. So they get people from the other islands to put rocks on. So, you know, they I, I guess, you know, so they, no more erosion. And they said, when when the chimpanzees come to just get into the water, because chimpanzees are frightened of water, they won't go into the water. So they said it's the locals. And that, that's true, the chimps don't like water. You'll never see them, except for, you know, in Tarzan. But um, but what he said, he told us a story where these young kids were, you know, helping build these kind of forts with the stones, and all yeah. the, all the chimps ran out at them, and they got scared. So they went up to their waist in the water, and ah, fuck you, chimps! You're not going to get us. They started throwing stones at them. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant! That wow! <laughs> but chimps are really vicious. Well, I love them, but like, I wouldn't trust. What is it appeals? Uh, what uh, what is it that draws you in about that particular animal so much? Well, I I think it's it's the you said it in like you see their soul a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, definitely. I think more than any other. I don't know whether it's because evolutionary that there is obviously something there, and whether you feel a sense of that yeah. and can tune into it. And on I, some I level. just think it shows us our beginnings and how brilliant we are, and how badly we've gone wrong as well. So you know that's why it would be the the main object. In the so sense. when you watched Planet of the Apes, did you cry? Oh I, well, I thought it was a documentary for a long, long time. Fly on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I don't watch stuff like that. What do you mean stuff like that? Well, I'd rather watch entertainment. <laughs> yeah, I don't watch popular culture. I don't watch popular culture. What's the point in that? <laughs> uh, Sean, but thank you. I know no, you no, it's been lovely. Actually, thank yeah. you so much for the chat. No, I really, really enjoyed it. No, that's I so have I. Cheers, Chris. Uh, I really did enjoy it. No, it was good fun. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, Sorry, we overran there.